let's talk a little bit about how do you generate leads? So we're direct to seller on everything. Um, we've kind of gotten away from paper lead, paper click type stuff. So our top of funnel is um, texting. We send about almost 4,000 texts a day, new texts, not including replies and drip campaigns. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Creative Financing Podcast. I'm Nicole Kimanjian. I'm here with Cody Richard and the host of this show, Jeff Rappaport. This is episode 250, and today we have special guests, Nick Anderson and Brandon Vizoso. If you're looking for a mentor, check out roimentors.com. Jeff has two mentorships, the Apprentice Program and the Creative Financing Academy. You can learn more about these mentorships at roimentors.com. While listening to this episode, if you guys have questions, please head over to the Creative Financing Podcast Facebook group. If you're not part of the community, just search the Creative Financing Podcast in Facebook and ask to join. Looking for a free creative financing class? Jeff hosts a virtual one on Zoom the second Thursday of every month, so bring your questions. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can ask your questions in the comments below. Lastly, we want to thank you for subscribing, liking, and sharing this podcast with your friends. Well, thank you for all being back again for another episode. And this is kind of a special episode for us. This is my 250th episode. Uh, You can do the math. If I do one once a week, it's been a while. So, um, but I can't think of two better guys to have on for our 250th. So um, welcome back, Brandon and Nick. And this episode, I want to, I want to give our listeners something really good to um, understand about creative finance. And uh, one of the things, Brandon, that I've been very impressed by what you do is that um, we talk about deals frequently and um, that you and Nick are able to find deals where you get great terms, right? So either 20, 30 year terms, 0% interest, zero down payment. Um, It's hard to lose when you're getting such great terms, right? So um, let's talk a little bit about what, first of all, let's let's talk about how you find your deals. So we talked last episode that you work in three markets, primarily two, Idaho and Montana. Um, Let's talk a little bit about how do you generate leads? Yeah, so I I think um, Nick, I think this would be good for you to chat about since you know you're doing a lot of that on the front end. Do you want to go into that? Yeah, sure. So we're direct to seller on everything. Um, we've kind of gotten away from paper lead, paper click type stuff. So our top of funnel is um, texting. We send about almost four thousand texts a day, new texts not including replies and drip campaigns. Um, from there, we will um, we'll get unresponsive text messages. So any prospect that has not responded to us and any landlines directly to a cold call campaign. Um, I've got that multiple different cold call campaigns, but we will get through about 10 attempts on cold calling. Um, and then a a midstream, it really depends on the type of data, but we'll probably at around the fifth to seventh attempt, we'll double skip them so we can get some more phone numbers in the mix. Uh, and then all the while, we're constantly building up um, follow up and drip campaigns through our text messaging platform. So we, we're doing, <laughs> we have a, 
11 person team, including our VAs and Brandon and I. So we're doing an absolutely insane amount of volume, at least in my opinion. Um, so 4,000 new texts really- a day. Is that right, Nick? To, so new yeah. people. So you have quite yeah, the list, people. right? Now you, you have not, you have multiple lists that you're you're sending these to, and um, out of four thousand texts a day, how many responses approximately do you get per day? Um, probably about half of that. So the, yeah, people are yeah. constantly responding back, trying to figure out who really wants to sell a house, right? Yeah, exactly. That is a lot of text. Okay. Um, all right. Is that your primary um, marketing channel, texting? Um, I mean, yeah, I would I would say texting is primary. Um, cold calls just as important. They kind of su- in our business they support one another. Yep. We couldn't have great response rates in cold calling if we didn't have texting the way it's set up, and then vice versa. So, how many cold callers um, do you have? Um, we have our whole acquisitions team kind of fighting for dialer seats. So we have one, we have one VA dedicated to just prospecting. Um, and then we have the other guys kind of fighting that out for those dialer seats on some of the hotter campaigns. So if I understand correctly, so let's say, let's just take an example. Okay. So let, let's say one of your lists is tax delinquent list. Okay. And so you have a list of three, four, five thousand people, whatever it may be, right? Um, so you're texting them, right? You skip trace them. You're texting them. Are people cold calling them in conjunction with texting them? No. So it's typically, well, I guess the answer it's it's a little bit complicated, but yeah, only people that have not responded through texting after about a week, and only landlines. Okay. So let's say we have five phone numbers for a person. Two of those are mobile. Those two mobile numbers are going to get texted, but those three landlines are going to get called immediately. They're going to get put into a dialer campaign immediately. Okay. Is the same person that's doing the texting to that person also the one that's cold calling them? Or is that, are they different? Two different people. Yeah. So you guys have created a system based on, uh, either something that you've learned through uh, a program and then you've probably tweaked it based on what's been working. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. We're kind of, we cannibalize everything that we learn from all these different mentorships and, and programs. Sure. Yeah. Um, what, is there any other marketing channels or is it basically text and cold call? Yeah, I think direct mail is going to be next for us. We've we've experimented with it and we've played around with it. I I do really want to get that at the bottom of the funnel for the about a thousand I'd like to do a month. We're still kind of exploring that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd also like to kind of really target in on the hottest list and have those direct kind of just be pushed directly to our acquisitions guys to to hit every day. Just just cold call them directly on your you know, your sales dialer and try to get in touch with them. Um, yep. And our CRM, we have great oversight over that. So, Well, and I, my guess, and it's probably a lot, and it's a, it's a very educated guess, is that 
you have a really good follow-up system in place, right? Because you have so many leads that you're you're dealing with that you don't know. You know I think it's, um, as far as marketing goes, that your best uh, conversion rate, your best response rate is between five and eight touches, if I'm not mistaken. And so uh, follow-up is key, and not all these people are ready to sell now, right? So um the majority the majority i would say are not ready to sell now so yeah. i think it's i think 70 percent of our deals are 12 touches or more um yep. and the last deal we just got under contract a couple of days ago was one that i've been working on for probably close to 18 months now yep follow-up so, is key yeah and and i can guarantee you that I'm not the only one, the only potential buyer who's talked to him over that same time span. Yep. So follow up. The fortune is definitely in the follow up. Good. Um, can we talk? And I don't want to go into the, much of this just really briefly, but can you give me an idea of like a list or two that you're that you really like? Because um, obviously to get that many numbers, you're dealing with multiple lists, right? And uh, probably all kinds of different criteria would be my guess. But you know, can you give our audience a couple of lists that you like? Everyone thinks it's all about the list. Yeah, it's not. Uh, it's not I'm aware list, of that. But, but yeah. they, they want, I, I guarantee you, Nicole's like, yeah, tell me the two lists that you like the most. <laughs> <laughs> I would say um, one of those lists, and I agree, I think it's, and Nick Nick has learned this over the, the course of our time together as well, that I think it's just about talking to people in general, you know, and trying to, you know, out there solve problems. Now, there may be a potential higher likelihood of a problems to solve on, say, a, a pre-foreclosure list. Um which haven't really existed, at least in our market, for several years. Um, you you because, pretty much haven't even seen a real pre-foreclosure list since you've been involved in real estate. Right. <laughs> yeah. And now we just we just closed on one and we have it listed right now and we're under contract to sell that one. So, yeah, we're encountering pre-foreclosures for the first time. Um, I anticipate more of those in the coming months. There, I, I anticipate some more layoffs and financial strength there, more problems for us to solve. Um, so I would say pre-foreclosure and obviously vacant. If you've got a vacant property, um, to me, I think about, you know, a property sitting there vacant, deferred maintenance, you know, racking up, paying taxes, insurance, and it pretty much just milking money. Those are those are two two lists that I, I really like myself. And it's a liability, right? This, having a property sit there um, vacant. Um, I don't know if you've dealt with squatters at this point yet, but uh, it's only a matter of time. And uh, we bought a house um, a few years ago. Seriously, the day after we closed, there were squatters in it. And uh, we sent the police over and they said, hey, we own this. And it's like, really? Um, that That's quite the trick that you pulled off. And uh, yeah, it was in a state that, the, the police just escorted them out so we didn't have to go through the whole process but th that's not always the case so um all right but and and, and when, when i say lists aren't as important um I, I totally agree with you that some are going to give more distress right pre-foreclosure lists 
I mean, if I find someone that's a week away from the trustee sale, they're going to have more motivation than someone that's, um, you know, tax delinquent one year and nothing happens until year five. And, but at the same time, it's a numbers game, right? And the goal is, is to um, get to as many people that uh, perhaps now is the time that they were thinking about selling and that they may have interest in doing so. Uh, and that's what you guys are really good at because you're hitting so many of them. And there's bound to be some people that, whether it's now or in the near future, I'm thinking about selling. Um, when you're dealing with these, are you dealing with any kind of equity? Um, uh, as a wholesaler, as a traditional wholesaler, you got to deal with people that have enough equity so you can buy the property cheap enough, right? Um, cause it's most likely going to need a bunch of work. And, uh, however, you, know, you have this creative finance aspect of your business where you can also deal with pretty houses that don't necessarily need anything and don't necessarily need to have much or any equity. Um, so is equity um, a filter that you use a lot in your lists? Um, it is. Yeah, I think equity. I mean, it, what's really hard for us is somebody having equity in the middle, right? Like 50% or something like that. Um, you know, for us, we do, we'd like to somebody, somebody to have a lot of equity so that we can structure a majority of that note to be, you know, seller financed. Yep. Um, or almost for them to have very little equity so that we can just take over the mortgage payment with not much down. So yeah. um, I think it, it plays a role, but I, you know, with the tools that we've learned, a lot of them, thankfully to this, you know, the, this podcast um, and your mentorship is we have, we have tools in our tool belt now for almost every solution. So I think equity is obviously important, but I don't think it's the end all be all by any means, because to be honest, the less equity there is, the less people out there who can solve their problem. You are correct. Yes. Um, and I agree with you. I, I, I'm i with you. Someone that has 50% equity is the tougher of all the different prospects to try to create something that will work because you got to deal with whatever payment they've got. And then you've got to try to figure out what to do with their equity. However, one of the things that we'll probably start to see is that people will start, and I know you're already doing this, is that you're getting them to wait on their equity, whether it's payment-wise or um, uh, with no payments, no interest kind of thing for a certain amount of time, which can be, I mean, outstanding in terms of creating the right deal. Um, all right, so let, let's talk about um, so who's actually speaking to, uh, you have these, uh, and you'd call them acquisition managers, right? Because, uh, but they're, they're literally lead managers slash acquisition managers, correct? Um, they're, they're, they're finding the leads and then they're kind of negotiating the deal. Is that right? Prospecting as well. Yeah. They wear all three hats. Yep. Which is unique. Um, I, I I don't normally see that in a lot of setups um, where people hold that many different um, hats, so to speak, when they're trying to um, 
get deals, right? That most acquisition managers don't want to prospect. Um, most acquisition managers want to, hey, put me on the phone with a seller and let me see if I can close the deal. And uh, so you have how many of these? Acquisition managers? Yeah. I believe we have six or seven. Six or seven. I, I seven right now? Yeah. So... I assume that they've been trained in what it is that you're trying to accomplish, right? Like, so they're trained in running comps. They're trained in where you would, what what you would pay for a particular property cash wise based on, you know, what the seller tells you is wrong with the property. Um, and then have you trained them in, hey, now uh, we, we can also go the creative finance route and these are the different methods or ways or strategies that we want you to look into and create offers on. Because they're creating the offers. Is that correct? Um, I would say they're more gauging the seller. Okay. Um, you know, when it comes to cash, that's pretty easy to create a calculator for. Yep. Uh, a big a big part of why I think our offers get accepted uh close to a 50% rate, which is very high. Is, very high. Um, is, you know, we're doing, we're setting a lot of upfront agreements and we're giving, when we're laying out potential terms, we're kind of storytelling about somebody in their situation and giving them the opportunity, you know, to come back and say, hey, I would, I would need at least X amount down. Um, and so usually by the, we're able to talk through those things. So by the time we're sending the offer over. You already know what they're willing to accept. Right. If, if I send a zero down offer to just a random person and they said, hey, send over some terms and I say, OK, and I send over zero down, they're going to laugh or, you know, they may never answer my call again. Whereas, you know, so I get asked that all the time. How do you get all these zero down options? Yeah. Well, I discuss it and I tell them about someone else that we got fifty thousand dollars more because they gave us zero down and either they give me an objection to overcome or they're, we, we know they're on board and I move to the next portion of the terms, if that makes sense. So, so can I can I summarize and you tell me if I'm if I'm I'm thinking the right thing here. So your acquisition manager is talking to someone or one of you guys is talking to someone. It doesn't really matter. Right. And you say to them, look, um, we just did a deal with someone where. You know, they had a property that needed thirty, forty thousand dollars in work, something similar to what it sounds like your house may need. And we were able to pay them more than what they were looking for, but they were willing to do it with little money or no money down. And uh, that, you know, you, you, we've got to stretch it out over eight years or 10 years or whatever it may be. Um, how does that sound? And let them come back and either agree, in which case sounds like you just got yourself a deal or say, oh, no, you know, I, I couldn't do zero down, but I could do six thousand dollars down. And then you decide if that's something that would work for you or you that's where your negotiations begin. Is that kind of what yeah, we're talking yeah, about? Just, yeah. Framing it that way and saying, would you rather do something like that or sell cash at a lower price? Yeah. Right. And it kind of intrigues yeah. them, at least gets them to ask questions. Um, and, and so I, yeah, it's a, it's a good way to at least introduce them. Totally agree. So really what you're telling me is the pre-screening part, the part of talking with the seller 
and talking through not only, hey, tell me about your property and about your situation, but let's dive a little deeper and make sure that we're on the same page um, is giving you the the information that you need to structure the offers that are going to work, right? Because you you know, at least you know up front whether you can potentially make them work or not, right? So the, the offers it that you're writing are getting accepted. Yeah, and it gives you clear direction when you go to underwrite. Like when you go to actually put options together, you know what they value. Some people, most people it's price, right? But some people yeah. are set on a certain down payment or they want the same cash flow they had as a rental or yeah. whatever the case is. So it gives you some clear direction to go back and actually structure an offer as well. So do you ever get, so but one of the biggest objections that comes up is, uh, well, I, I, I want 30% down or I want 40% down, right? Um, uh, how would you deal with that kind of situation? So I think that's part of just making the rules of the game very clear to them. Um, and, you know, if somebody came back and said that, I would say, got it. So you wouldn't want, I mean, typically anytime we're paying four terms, we're paying a premium for better terms than we would otherwise get at the bank. Um, I mean, I could get, I'm assuming you're not going to give me 30 years and I can get 20% from the bank. So I'd probably just want to buy this on cash and use my bank to, to do that. Right. It sounds like you probably just want to sell at a lower price cash than in that scenario. Um, and so it's very clear to them, you know, once they understand the rules to the game, which most people don't. And I think we we just go in and say, hey, would you take terms? <laughs> you know, a lot of people starting out. Yep. Um, if we can lay the rules of the game out to them clearly, like, hey, I'm giving you a premium price to get a lower payment, a lower, you know, a monthly payment, lower interest rate, whatever the case is. Once they understand the rules of the game, then a lot of people are actually willing to play the game. So in reality, what, what you're doing is you're you're figuring out what's most important to the seller, right? So whether it's price, whether it's down payment, whether it's, hey, I got to get cashed out in three years, five years, 10 years, whatever. Um, you're trying to find what's most important and then structure the rest around that and Hey, if I'm going to give you your price, what's typically going to happen? Um, they're going to have to give us our terms, right? And um, so you do a really good job of pre-screening that seller, finding out what's important and laying out the groundwork. Um, you know, Nicole, that this, you know who this reminds me of, don't you? Um, uh, our previous guest that we just had on, Dan Diaz. And yep. um, he did the same thing. And, you know, he has the, do you know, Dan, do you know who that is? I've heard of the name, but I don't know him personally. Yeah, he does. He has a Facebook group called School of Sharks. And um, uh, and he does things very differently because to him, he, he'll he tell you right off the bat, hey, if you want cash, I can pay 50% of what uh, the property is worth. And he's like, Let, let's be clear. Um, for me to run out to Target to go buy something today, right now, drop everything, go get it. I'm going if it's 50% off. And uh, your house is no different for me. And so you want this done. You want it to get at the top of the line. You want me to make something happen. I got to buy it at 50% off. And and then he talks about you know bank financing. Um, he's like, oh, you want 
bank financing. You know, if you're asking six, seven percent. Um, well, six, seven percent is you know, I, I can get lines of credit and they give me five to one on my money. So every time I got to take money out of the bank, I'm losing uh, purchasing power. And uh, so if you want that interest rate, I can give it to you. But that means that the price has got to come down. And and he's got like a little system of how this all kind of works together. Right. So um, very similar, different ways of going about it. But ultimately the same result. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, it took me a while to realize. I think most most people that are calling sellers kind of have an agenda um, or they're following a script or and you should to have at least some structure early on. But once you're able to kind of adopt and figure out where I need to navigate through this, then it's more to me about not necessarily your agenda, but act, like truly actively listening um, you know, without that agenda, figuring out like where where is that seller at? What are their goals? Where are they trying to get to? Um, you know, and then once we can figure get an idea of that storytelling of somebody in a similar situation that we were able to help solve their problem. And usually together we can help, like I said, build that bridge to get them from point A to point B. And, and I think a lot of it is when I when I send that offer over, they know that offer was made for them, right? Yeah. Like design, you know, be, because of the conversation we had, they feel heard, they feel understood. And there's not a lot of uh, objections they could have by the time that LOI or that offer goes out because we've overcome most of those on the phone. Do you guys write one offer or do you give them multiple offers? And based on what you're telling me, it, it sounds more like it's one offer. No, it's, it's typically multiple. Okay. So usually there will be a cash offer in there. Um, and, and that's another big point, I think, is really in order to make a terms offer look attractive, I think anchoring at a low cash offer is very yep. important. Yep. Um, if you ask me, you know, if you go to ask someone if they want 30,000 for their car today or 30,000 over the next 10 years, they're going to want it now. But if it was 50,000 over 10 years, that might change the conversation a little bit. So that's right. Um, so yeah, I think just going in actually um, anchoring with cash is is super helpful. So having cash as an option, then we're typically offering depending on if it's own free and clear. You know, if there's a mortgage, we're we're typically trying to structure something either short term um, as a flip. So putting financing in place for you know an end flipper yep. for a short period, six to twelve months, or we're trying to structure something. To, to hold either for ourselves or another long-term hold investor. So let, let's talk about the terms, right? So, um, and when I say terms, let's not confuse that word with uh, owner finance. I'm talking the length of term. And um, so typically what, what kind of length of term are you trying to get? And, um, and uh, maybe what, what are you doing in terms of trying to get, longer terms? Um, I mean, for us, really all we're looking at is future value of a property, right? And so a lot of things play into that interest rates, you know, what type of principal pay down we have. Um, but we're, I'm looking at future value. I want to make sure whether it's myself or an end buyer that we have enough equity. So we have at yes. least, you know, 35, 40% equity in the property based off of today's values, which who knows where we'll be in X amount of time. But 
um, making sure that, you know, the future value makes sense. We don't want to put a, us or. If a balloon that. payment comes due that you're in a position that you, you're not in a bad position, you're, you're in a position to carry this out. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we're. Most people don't take that into account. Um, most investors. Yeah. Right. So. So, I mean, we're, we're always looking at that um, in terms of where, what is our future value? Um, I think interest rate again plays into that and just market conditions, right? Like two years ago, I was willing to do three-year balloons, five-year balloons, whereas yep. now I don't want to really speculate. Um, you know, uh, to a certain extent, we're all speculating, but I don't want to speculate on where the market will be in five years from now or three years from now, especially. So. Yep. Um, just making sure that it, it makes sense from a long-term perspective and that um, the numbers make sense to an end buyer. So if you if you propose, let's say, a 10-year term to someone and they say, no, you know, I'd really rather do four, um, what what is your what how are you negotiating that? What what are you what are you trying to explain to them? Um, I'm trying to show them that you know, the market, if I, if I bought that at a premium price, are you talking the seller? Yeah. I'm talking the seller? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, that could potentially put me in a position where if the market, I mean, at least in our market, we've declined 10% in the last two months. So if that trend continues and we have a three-year balloon or a four-year balloon, I don't know if four years gives us enough time. You know, I know if we had 20 years, we would have plenty of time, but I don't know if four years gives us enough time yep. to recover and put us at a point to refinance at that point. That's exactly what I would do too. Um, and it, it's exactly what is going on is that we, we know the real estate market is going down. We don't know for how long, we don't know for how much, um, but eventually it'll hit a point where it'll stabilize and then it will start going back up. Uh, interest rates are going up. I don't think they're coming down anytime soon, but at some point they'll cap and then they will start coming back down. And the longer term that we have to, to watch what the market's doing, the better opportunity we have at refinancing or um, selling or wh whatever the case may be, this property, um, rather than be put in a position where, hey, if a three-year balloon comes and interest rates are 9.25% and uh, the value is decreasing, we're at 88% loan to value, um, you know, now everything's against us. And you know that's not going to work out well for anyone. Right. I, yeah. I, yeah. I think a lot of people just will hear they're new and they'll hear a podcast like this this is really important to note like they'll hear a conversation like that and think that that happens over two or three phone calls but it doesn't it happens over seven or eight months where you're constantly coaching these sellers and having these conversations and being willing to walk away from the conversation knowing that you planted the right seeds in the first second and third conversation and you can go and nurture and water those seeds over a few months until people's expectations catch up with reality. So I think that was something that I, for me, when I just started out trying to force what I wanted, as long as you're doing the right things, you know, and continuing to follow up these, you can, you can have these conversations with people. 
everyone oh. is impatient, right? That they, they all everyone <laughs> wants to close, but one phone call close, right? Um, you know, yeah. we're, we're on the call, yeah, let's close. And uh, and I know it can happen. I've seen people do it. Now we've done it, but it's not necessarily the reality that that we work in. And uh, and yeah, it's hard to come up with creative financing terms on the fly, right? Like it's not like a cash offer. Um, I could look up on Zillow while we're on the phone and say, okay, I, I have a certain percentage of Zillow that if I can buy for, I feel pretty confident in. So here's my cash offer. Oh, you'll take it. Okay. Um, let, let's get this written up. Uh, creative finance, a little different. So uh, especially if we're and it sounds like you guys do, you tailor your offers to the seller's problems, situation, needs, wants. Um, and uh, I do as well. Um, I, I feel like creative financing allows us to become problem solvers and uh, kind of changes what we're able to do compared to most of everyone else, right? That we really want to solve an issue. All right. So I want to talk about one more thing and then we'll wrap this up. Hopefully um, our audience has found this to be helpful, but let's talk about some of your exit strategies. Um, so we talked briefly about that last episode. You do a little bit of everything, right? You're wholesaling some of these deals. So let's talk about who are you wholesaling some of these deals to? What are you trying to structure when you're trying to wholesale something, you know, whether that single family, whatever the case may be. Yeah, I think, you know, anytime we're looking to wholesale, we know that um, obviously that's typically going to, usually it's a cash transaction and it's going to someone to flip the property. Um, so we're looking at, um, okay, what type of rehab needs to go into the property? What is the ARV or the after repair value once we're done? And obviously there's got to be, you know, a, a spread for the flipper and for us as well. So right now those deals are looking <laughs> deeper than ever, you know, because, uh, because we don't know where the values are, right? It's uh -huh. changing. It, it's ever changing right now. Yeah. And I mean, there's just a huge uh, portion of the buyer pool who's sitting on the sidelines right now. Uh, you know, money's expensive. Um, and so I think, like I said, our, we were wholesaling twice as much, you know, six to 12 months ago as we are now. Yeah. Uh, so with cash, we're looking at obviously getting, you know, a, a decent chunk of equity, whether that's for us to flip or, you know, a, a flipper in the end. Do you wholesale anything to like landlords, um, people that want to buy and hold that you can create terms where it would make sense or those ones that you're looking to keep yourself? I haven't wholesaled any, but I've wrapped them. Um, typically, I, I hold them. Um, I will probably be doing a lot more of sell, you know, wholesaling those terms um, now that interest rates are where they are. It's created kind of a, a you know a different environment where there's um, in, right now. And if you're a buy and hold investor, at least in in our market, you, you're not playing. Period. I mean, you can't there's no price point you can go buy right now in cash flow, regardless of how you're purchasing, you know, unless we provide a lower interest rate that allows them to cash flow. So I think that's yeah, to be honest, you know, because your market is similar to 
my market, um, which is absolutely stupid in terms of cash flow type properties. And um, it was really kind of foolish for people to be buying um, a lot of deals that they bought over the last few years, even when interest rates were low, because now they're 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 in they're stuck, right? Because a lot of them have these short-term balloons coming due in the this year, next year, soon, and uh, where they were at maybe four percent, and now they could be looking at who knows, maybe eight, and uh, could really change the whole look of their property. Um, the good thing is, is that what we do is, hey, um, it's not going to work as a rental unless we can structure the right terms. And and then if we can structure it, either then you're going to hold it yourself, or you could potentially wholesale it to someone else and get your fee. Um, what the, the last couple of questions I want to ask you both, and then I'll ask Nicole if you have any additional questions. But, um, where do you guys want to go with this? So, yeah, but what's the goal? Um, yeah, what, what are you trying to accomplish here in the next 12 months, 24 months, kind of thing? And, um, and what, what, what are you, what are your ideas on where the market's going and how will you adapt? Yeah, so I think over the next 12 months, 24 months, it's really just, uh, like I mentioned earlier, kind of taking a step or two back to not only prepare for this environment that we're heading into and, you know, pivoting, but just um, trying to really develop systems and processes to, you know, we're, we're doing, we're getting deals, but we're both putting in a lot of hours right now. Um and so I think just trying to slowly back, you know, get back some of that time over the next year or two um, and really starting to pivot more into higher, you know, asset classes. So more into the multifamily space where I see a lot of pain coming with potential bridge loan, you know, bridge loans that are out there and things like yep. that. Um, and just moving up in asset class um, in terms of where what I see happening in the next couple of years in the market. Um, I mean, obviously don't have a crystal ball, but I would say that um, I, I don't see, I don't see us probably ever getting back to the interest rates that we just came out of, you know, two and a half, three percent. I don't know if we'll ever see that in our lifetimes, but I think hopefully within 18 to 24 months, we start to see some rates at least start, you know, to go the other way. Um, but I think regardless for, for us, you know, we've, it's it's interesting because this is kind of what if we were in creative finance six months ago, 12 months ago, this is what we were wishing would happen in terms of being able to, you know, solve problems. So yeah. I think, you know, we are paid to solve problems in, you know, in in this industry. And so um there are actually problems to solve now, right? Like there, there weren't really problems for us to solve, at least with a lot of these tools six to 12 months ago. And I don't see it getting better over the next, you know, year to two years, at least drastically better. So to me, it's exciting. To me, I can already tell in my conversations with realtors, contractors, title companies, um, the conversations are different now. Now they're calling us. Now realtors are wanting to us to structure creative options. Now title companies are wanting to have lunch. Now contractors are calling to ask us for work, you know. So I'm just excited to 
be able to use a lot of these creative strategies and solve a lot of problems that um, that I see, you know, over the next year or two. This is when true wealth can be uh, achieved. Uh, it's always funny to me. Everyone jumps in when the market is at toward its peak. Uh, it's been good for so long. People think it's going to remain good forever. And as it starts to come back down, people get out because they don't know what to do. And it's like, mm, what, do you want to buy real estate at the top of the market or do you want to buy it toward the bottom of the market? Um, kind of gets a little uh, confusing for people. Nick, do yeah. you want to add anything? No, I mean, I, I don't really have too much more to add. It's, it's For me, it's less about how long is this going to last and are more about are we doing the right things regardless of the environment. And right now, the environment is, like Brandon said, it's cash is king. So it's less about holding um, and more about, you know, maximizing upfront cash flow from the wraps and wholesaling some of the terms. And rather than looking to do a flip, you know, let's wholesale this and, and, and move this quicker, um, you know, and just keeping the team fed and everything like that. So that's, that's what it's about for me right now. Cause I, I will get myself worked up into a frenzy trying to predict what's going to happen and when and why. And it's more for, from what I've learned, just doing the right things. You guys are still so new that um, th this is very new for you, right? I mean, all you've ever seen is really low interest rates and a super crazy appreciating market um, in both the markets that you're in, right? And especially you though, Brandon, because uh, Boise especially. I mean, but Boise's getting pressed now for coming down faster than any other city in the country. Um, but, you know, just six months ago was for probably two years, it was the... Uh, highest depreciating market in the country so um right. i will tell you this um and this is based on 20 plus years of experience is that the the best investors the best are always people that can adapt to what's going on in the market there shouldn't be a time where you want to be in and then there's a time when you want to be out um there's a time where you want to buy cheaper there's a time when you want to buy on terms. There's a time when you want to wholesale. There's a time maybe you don't want to be flipping, um, but it's all about adaptation. And um, the people that are most successful are able to adapt because market's always changing, always. Absolutely. Nicole, did you want to add any? Did you have any other questions? Any questions? Yeah, from uh, I mentioned it the last episode, but I'm just curious how you guys are uh, mitigating risk when it comes to like to flips. Like, how have your numbers, I guess, changed? Like, I, I get this, I get asked this question all the time. Like, uh, how are you, I guess, uh, doing ARV? And um, from other people, like someone I talked to at a at one of these networking events was like, yeah, just do uh, ARV within the last, you know, comps from the last month to three months, and then minus 5%. So is it, does it look like something like that for you guys or? Pretty similar depending on the, I mean, there's not a lot of home selling right now, which is, you know, kind of crazy. So there's finding recent comps can be really hard. 
for us, I think, you know, we, we've always been ultra conservative. Um, and most, most of the properties that we've wholesaled, we wouldn't flip ourselves. The profit margins were not the, there, but we could still make somehow 30 or $40,000 wholesaling it. Right. So, um, I think we've always been somewhat conservative. Um, but yes, we are any, if we can't find a comp for say three months or, or longer, um, then we're we're looking at taking at least 10% off of that potential ARB. Um, there's obviously different factors. We can go out wider, we can go back a little further, but I mean, the further you go back, I, I, you, if you're looking at stuff from 12 months ago, 18, I mean, it, to me, that's not even a comp worth looking at. Uh, no. so, you might as well take your best guess. Uh, right. uh, just, it's not it's not very accurate not in some of the markets that are really changing so um i think to answer your question is we're i don't think flippers even know where they need to be at people that you know have yeah. been flipping 20 30 yeah. so um so i think in, until then we just have to be ultra conservative with our numbers and i think that's why we're doing so many creative deals right now is I think other wholesalers, if they're not, um, they need to be just as deep, right? Other cash buyers. And so it's going to make these creative deals look even more attractive. Um, we've, we've got one under contract now. It's tax assessed at almost 300K. We have it under contract at 100K. And I don't even know if I can move that thing for, you know, 180. And it's tax assessed at, you yeah. know, $100,000 more. Yep. Uh, six, six, 12 months ago, I would have made, you know, 150,000 on that pretty easily. So it's, you know, just being a lot more conservative with our numbers. And we would much rather, I think this has been helpful in building um, just a reputation and, and good buyers on the back end is we have buyers reaching out to us constantly because we know we're sending out a deal regardless. Whereas most of the stuff that I get sent from other wholesalers, I don't even open it now at this point because right. it's, you know, it's not even worth looking at. So yep. if you can be ultra, it's better to have, a, you know, get a good surprise than it is to have to go back and renegotiate or cancel a contract is kind of how we look at it. And I think what you said is really important because even if, if rehabbers can decide what they're willing to pay today, doesn't really mean that that's what's going to be in four to six months from now. And unfortunately they can't predict it we can't predict it um you know if boise was to drop 10 percent uh month over month for the next four to six months um i don't really see that happening but if it did i don't think many people would plan on it and whatever you worked out today or a rehabber decided to buy today couldn't plan on that so um it's a it's an interesting time right now. That's why we're, we make less and less cash offers right now. Um, but I like your idea that it is always the price anchor, right? It just makes things look better when your cash offer is so low. Problem is, uh, I, I'm with you. I don't feel like people are um, uh, bridge financing, hard money, uh, at least for the time being, is going up. And... Uh, and then obviously we know, you know, any kind of retail bank financing is also pretty high right now. So um, that makes it a little more difficult. And uh, so I'm trying to stay away from cash right now. Uh, and you want me to pay cash, it's it's probably less than, you know, 
significantly less than what I would have been paying two, three months ago. So, Absolutely. all right. Well, thank you both. I do appreciate your time. Um, I really hope that this was helpful to our listeners. And um, any last words, Nicole? Nope. This was awesome. Thank you all. Appreciate it. Go out and create some terms. Mm-hmm.